Welcome back to Random Serling, the podcast where a guest and I watch a randomly selected episode of either The Twilight Zone or Night Gallery, then discuss what we watched. Both shows were created by Master of Suspense, Rod Serling, which is where we get our name. I'm your host, Dan Wersch, and my guest this week is Scott McNulty. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dad. My pleasure. And uh, tell tell me, uh, I know how I know you, but uh, tell uh, tell the people listening how they might know you. Uh, well, I think probably these days, if anybody knows me, which other than people who are related to me and who know me in person, I don't know why anyone would. Uh, I am the host of a podcast on the Incomparable Network with a very similar um, uh, theme to yours uh, called Random Trek, in which I watch a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest, as I say at the start of every episode, and we talk about it. Uh, if if you know me, not because of that, but you do know me, it may be because of my storied past as a tech blogger uh, and tech author, but those are probably the main reasons why anyone knows me. Yes, perhaps uh, if, if anybody bought that one Amazon phone and, and, and needed to buy a book about it. That, that book, I did write a book about the Amazon phone. It did not sell very well, much like the phone itself, uh, but uh, it was sad. But I have written like 10 other books that also yes. did, didn't sell very well, but still, I wrote but them. But I bet they did much better than that one. They did. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, and I, uh, hopefully I haven't hit a sore spot there. It's uh, no. I, I don't think it's your fault that they uh, that they made a very strange phone. They did. I think it had some things going for it, but it was uh, just not the right thing to do. Uh, and the life of a tech, I did. There was a moment where I thought, oh, I can quit my job and just write tech books full time because the first book I wrote was actually pretty popular. Uh, but then I wrote nine other books that were not at all popular so uh i realized i better keep the day job <laughs> well uh, i i uh, i can identify a little bit there was a time uh, when i i fancied myself as a potential developer and at the time i don't know if you recall the ill-fated blackberry playbook oh i do they uh they had a promotional thing where if you developed an app pre-launch uh, to be on their store on launch day, uh, and you got it in, they were giving away free hardware, hmm. which, uh, at the time was, was appealing to me as somebody who, who didn't have a lot of, uh, spare change for, for tech at the time. So, uh, so yeah, I went and, uh, hurriedly, uh, created a, a very simple to-do list app and got my free hardware. And then it, you know, promptly totally bombed as a product. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Blackberry, oh, oh, Blackberry. Yes, they uh, they they just didn't understand anymore what was going on. I don't think. No, but apparently they have a very good um, car operating system, so maybe they can live again in in automobiles all across this country of ours. Perhaps a uh, a a phoenix rising from the ashes with a push button keyboard. Maybe I don't know. Although I will say <laughs> I I did have a BlackBerry for a while when I worked in corporate America, and the keyboard was pretty sweet. <laughs> Well, Scott, uh, tell me a little bit before we talk about our specific episode. What's your what's your history with uh, Rod Serling's work? Well, I, I must say I am not the biggest Rod Serling fan, and in fact, I, I have to admit that I thought his name was Sterling. So that shows you how uh, out of touch I am with him. But I will say that I spent many years. Um, well, I grew up. I was born and raised in New York, uh, right outside of New York City, in a town called Yonkers, uh, which meant we got all of the New York City. Uh, over-the-air stations for TV. This was before cable existed. Uh, so, you know, you had antennas and uh, had a, 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 you know, a, a, a dial you had to turn. There was no remote control for the TV. Uh, and there was a TV station which still exists. Uh, it was Channel 11 at the time, WPIX. And every New Year's, they would run uh, a marathon of the Twilight Zone uh, for like 24 hours, maybe even 48 hours. I have no idea. And so I would always get sucked into watching countless episodes of the twilight zone um and so that is mostly what i think of him and i knew vaguely that he had other things going on in his life uh in his 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 creative work i suppose uh and so i was familiar with the concept of the night gallery but i had never seen an episode uh so this was exciting to watch my very first night gallery episode well, uh, yes, I, I'm similar to yourself, uh, you know, much more familiar uh, with the Twilight Zone in my history. And uh, one of the reasons for me, uh, you know, coming up with the idea for this show um, 
was was to give myself a reason to go back and watch uh, some of these episodes I never got around to, and uh, and so because in these days of so much television and you know having a life and, and responsibilities, I felt like I needed some kind of justification for for watching this much television. <laughs> I, I I just watch TV all the time. <laughs> uh, it's definitely one of my hobbies. I make no bones about that. But uh, uh, but with a uh, with a now five year old running around and all that, I uh, I do have to. Uh, select carefully, especially things like this that aren't exactly appropriate to watch with a five-year-old. No, uh, not really. <laughs> I have watched some Twilight Zone with her uh, because it's not quite as dark usually. <laughs> uh, Night Gallery tends to be a little, uh, a little on the darker side. So you are, I don't, are we, is there going to be a big reveal as to what episode we watched? Well, it'll be uh, much like yourself. And, and one of the many things I've lifted from your format <laughs> is the titling of the episodes. Ah, okay. So, so yeah, no surprise. Uh, it's, it's season two, episode one of Night Gallery, which uh, this may present a challenge in naming this episode because I don't know what the character limit is on uh Oh, it is uh, a long on, on it, but boy, there are there are four segments to this episode. So there are. Uh, I, I may just have to say the boy who predicted earthquakes. Dot dot dot. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of like one of those um, late season original series Star Trek uh, titles. Um, but so I, this is the first episode of Night Gallery I've ever watched. So I'm assuming you've watched more than this episode. I have. Is this kind of is this indicative or a, a good? kind of uh, uh, example of Night Gallery, because, you know, I, on my Star Trek podcast, we, uh, sometimes I have people on who've never seen any Star Trek, and they're like, is this is this what Star Trek is like? And generally, no, uh, it is not. But uh, I'm curious as to, because this is kind of weird. I don't know if it's weird or not, but it struck me as a kind of an odd pairing or of four different weird stories yeah i've i've seen um i've seen enough of them now to say that uh there are definitely some that are like this so um they they appear to so of these four two are sort of what i would call a normal length uh story and then the other two are very short little vignettes that uh that are, I think, meant to serve as some sort of lighter fare, as kind <laughs> yes. of a break in the action, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's definitely not the only time they've done that. So uh, it's it's not every episode that's like that, but I, I want to say it it feels like maybe a function of filling the hour, and maybe they had a few of these that they would just kind of insert wherever they needed to, to uh, to kind of fill the time. Yes, because especially uh, uh, Miss Lovecraft sent me which is yes. the second part. certainly feels a lot like filler to me. Um, uh, Phantom of What Opera also feels a little bit like filler, but I felt like it was better than Miss Lovecraft sent me. I agree with that. Yeah, at least it, it seemed to have a little bit more of a punchline at the end. Exactly. And that's, yeah, some, sometimes they, uh, the ones I've seen, they often like to end the episode with one of these that's a little goofy. Um, in fact, the first episode I watched, um, I, I was going, they don't have time left for a third uh, segment. And then, sure enough, it was one of these little short ones like this. And I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> you got me, Rod. Yes, that's right. Uh, or Rod's writer's room, whoever oh, was in yes. charge of it. And, and I also wondered later on, uh, if perhaps it was a way, and I should do a little more research to, to find out if this is true or just my guess. Uh, it might have been a way they, they kind of let people, you know, tried people out. Uh, you know, write, write one of these little ditties and then, and then maybe we'll, uh, you know, have you do a, a more complete segment later on. And now the other thing that surprised me about this being my first night gallery episode was it was in color. So I had never seen Rod Serling in color. Uh, always black and white. Of course, I had a black and white TV when I was watching these marathons of the Twilight Zone. And I think, I don't know if any of the Twilight Zone seasons were in color, but I saw them all in black and white. So, uh, Same here. I, I have never seen him in color. And so I, I've got to say, I think he looks better in black and white. His, his snaggletooth's a little more disturbing <laughs> in, uh, in uh, color. Yeah, and, and plus he's older, right? So he looks older. So you're like, oh, that's, you know, sadly time gets us all <laughs> it's it's true it's uh it's it's catching up on all of us but uh yeah he, he he's always seemed a little more buttoned up in those twilight zone episodes and here he's uh, like his his hair's a little shaggier and yes uh, yeah he doesn't he doesn't seem quite as uh as put together get as, a haircut he hippie that's what <laughs> that's i said right. and i felt like based on just one one episode of my gallery so i don't know if it's true all the rest like judge the, away uh the twilight zone one of the best, well, this is exaggerating, but one of the most iconic parts was his introduction, right? And it always felt like it was super tight and it was really evocative. And I kind of felt like his introductions for these were uh, 
not really great. And uh, and I did, I wrote down, because, you know, I, I watched this episode, and one of the first things I wrote was, will it actually be in, like, a gallery? Is that what the intro is? And sure enough, the intro is in this kind of fake gallery, uh, and they look at it. All of these things are paintings, right, that he looks at, and I thought that's kind of gimmicky. Um, but Yeah, that was definitely their conceit was the uh... – uh, I, I want to know who sourced all the artwork. I should, I should, I should look that up too because some of it's really terrible. <laughs> yes, even in this very episode, there is some some terrible artwork uh, on display in that gallery, and oftentimes only really vaguely related to the uh, to the subject matter of the particular segment. I think they just wanted it to be evocative of uh, whatever wacky story they're about to tell you, and maybe a little bit creepy looking. I think uh, certainly very creepy looking. Uh, and then the other thing that I think perhaps um, the Twilight Zone has spoiled me too, because the other the thing that the big thing about the Twilight Zone, right, is you always think, okay, here's the story. This is what you think is going to happen. This is what you think is going to happen. And then at the end, oh, something totally unexpected uh, happens, and there's a twist. Like, oh no, uh, he finally has time to read, and his glasses break. Spoiler alert for uh, a very famous Twilight Zone episode that everyone knows about. Uh, but this, these, the, at least this night gallery. I don't know if once again if this is indicative of the rest of the series, and if this is mostly trying to be creepy. But there was no real for any of these. I th- I didn't think there was any kind of shocking twist really i guess the hand of borgus weems had uh, an interesting kind of twist at the end but uh it was it was creepier than it was shocking yeah they they definitely didn't seem to go for the you know the the kind of twist uh the sort of you know the the uh proto m night Shyamalan kind mm-hmm. of style that that the twilight zone uh you know was was famous for uh so yeah it's 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 definitely it's not, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of you know, going to come out of the, uh, the the show with here is a sort of a list of what I would call essential Rod Serling episodes of, of just overall to watch. I don't think a lot of Night Gallery is going to make that list. <laughs> I, based on my one episode, I think I have to agree with you so far. <laughs> I am looking forward to, I do have a couple of people lined up who, who profess to be pretty big fans of this particular series. And oh. I, it may be more for nostalgic reasons in terms of how they were uh, um, exposed to it in, in the first place. Oh no. And then you're going to... You're going to make them watch it, and they're going to be like, this is horrible. What was I thinking? That's what that's what happened to me. Uh, this is, once again, not related in any way to the Night Gallery. But uh, I, when I was growing up, I used to love MacGyver. Uh, and I'd watch it religiously. I was very excited about it. Uh, and then it recently, or well, maybe a couple of years ago, it was suddenly available. This is the Richard Dean Anderson MacGyver. Oh, suddenly yes. available on the streaming services. So it's like, holy heck, I got to watch me some MacGyver because I loved it. It's the best show ever. Uh, I watched one episode and I was I I found to my horror that you know what MacGyver actually not very good. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, first of all, yes, the Richard Dean Anderson is the one true MacGyver. Uh, no number of reboots or anything could uh, could change that. But uh, yeah, I, I I did something similar probably about on the same timeline you did. And uh, I, what I've learned coming away from that and a couple other things was don't watch those shows from my childhood that, that I remember so fondly. Just keep exactly. them as a fond memory. Mm-hmm. They are much better with the fog of uh, nostalgia. That's absolutely right. I think I also made the mistake of uh, of watching uh, an episode of ALF not too long ago. Oh, oh no. And uh, yeah, that was a bad call. <laughs> <laughs> He's from Melmac. That's right. Gordon Shumway. That's right. Loves to eat cats. <laughs> Yeah, my my advice on most of these shows is people just go to YouTube and watch the opening credits. Yeah, that's all you need. And then stop, because that's what you probably fondly remember is the theme song. And it'll have some, you know, a montage of of hilarious madcap scenes (laughs) and then uh, and then just stop and be done. (laughs) And so the opening of Night Gallery, uh, I thought was sufficient it got me in the mood to see some creepy kind of stories uh it kind of reminded me of doctor who intros because you know we're going through some kind of creepy tunnel with you know uh uh, rectangles are throwing at you um so that was exciting uh and the music uh of on this episode once again my only episode of night gallery so i don't know if it's a it's indicative of the rest but i felt like the music was pretty good a little heavy-handed in parts 
um, especially on uh, the hand of Borgus Weems. I felt yes. like there was some heavy-handed <laughs> uh, music on that one. There was a hand, <laughs> hand pun, anybody? <laughs> uh, that was a delayed reaction for me. You can blame Skype on that, but uh, I, did, right. I did enjoy that hand pun. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, and, and I was I was looking at my notes because I think on that segment I did specifically make some notes about how how heavy-handed the music was, the, like a sort of dun 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 kind mm-hmm. of you know, <laughs> and then like this weird electronic uh, like screeching when you know uh, people are being he's being taken over by the hand and what? Oh well, yeah, and don't forget the flashing red light. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> I don't need that light. <laughs> So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the boy who predicted earthquakes. The for the first segment, I, I felt like it was a Scott McNulty special. This was totally a by accident, but uh, starring a, a young Clint Howard. That's right. Uh, I was excited to see that, and not only that, but uh, the young Clint Howard and the doctor from uh, Love Boat. That's I never got around to looking him up, but I knew he looked familiar and I couldn't I actually made a note here going like, who is this guy trying to put him on the air? Look him up later. <laughs> That's what you recognize it from. Uh, I don't know. I'm now I just went to Wikipedia. So he's uh, Dr. Adam Doc Bricker from uh, Doc Love Boat. Bricker, that's right. Yeah, Bernie Capel. Uh, in a very small, seemingly unnecessary role, I don't. I, I guess he was kind of like he found Clint Howard, and he's like, "We gotta get this kid on the television, man." Yeah, I felt like all he existed to be was somebody who um, got them there in the first place, and whose job was on the line, getting him the audition, just so the the head of the studio guy could be a jerk. <laughs> and that guy was in a lot of stuff. I don't know who he is, but uh, I recognized him from. Uh, one of the, my favorite things, I like Columbo a lot as well, and it's of the same era. So seeing all of these actors just kind of showing up in all these different shows seems like something that we don't have anymore. I mean, we have lots of great shows, far better shows than Night Gallery and Columbo, if I'm being honest with myself. Um, but uh, you don't have these anthologies or these long-running things where, like, you know, uh, Bernie Capel uh, shows up. I don't know when the love boat started. I guess it was probably after this because that was the 80s. But he was, uh, you know, in a lot of stuff. So all these actors are showing up, and it's it's always fun to see them. But uh, this would be a better story if I knew who the other guy was who was the, the station manager, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they always do um, a, g- a good job of having kind of a, a great cross-section of people of the era. And uh, unfortunately... What I found is that Night Gallery is not nearly as well researched and posted all over the internet as Twilight Zone. So mm. even the obscure character actors and things on an individual that only were ever on one episode of the Twilight Zone, you know, have a link on Wikipedia and you can see their filmography and all that. Um, but that has not been done for for Night Gallery. So uh, alas, I uh, I do not have. Uh, oh. The name of that guy, but but I'm like yourself. I watched enough TV in that era that so many of these people look familiar, and that's kind of the fun of watching some of these. Um, my wife rolls her eyes a little bit at me uh, sometimes <laughs> because she'll be sitting next to me, usually looking at her iPad or doing something to pass the time, uh, since she's not going to get on a show and talk about it. <laughs> she, her motivation is less to get through mm. some of these episodes. Yes, but uh, uh, but I'll be like, oh hey, it's that guy from from that thing, and she's like, yeah, whatever. I, I didn't watch as much. TV as you. <laughs> That's just some guy who's probably dead. I don't care. Yeah, long before, you know, the FX network today is famous for all these groundbreaking dramas and, you know, uh, pushing the edges of television. But I remember when they premiered as a network on cable when I was a teenager and their programming was almost exclusively reruns of shows from the 70s and 80s. And I watched the entire run of Fantasy Island and mm-hmm. Heart to Heart and mm-hmm. I think Love Boat as well. There's so many of these shows that were all about this parade of guest stars and, <laughs> and, and you know, the, this, you know, sort of uh, you know, episodic television like that. Yeah, it's just, just the cavalcade of stars coming through. And I, I, I can't even think of any show nowadays that's like that, um, which I think is sad. Yeah, it, it must have been a, a great time to be a publicist, where you could just sort of, <laughs> you know, you know, shuttle your your clients around to That's all the right. different primetime television shows. Charo needs to be on Love Boat. <laughs> all right, <laughs> we'll put Charo her in. And, and Menudo. That was, yes. you know, there's no shortage of episodes with them in it. Uh, the TV is lacking uh, Charo nowadays. I think. 
think she's still alive. So hopefully, if she's dead, uh, rest in peace, Charo. If she's not, hooray. Something tells me that if I type is charoalive.com, <laughs> I bet there's going to be a website. Probably. I may have misspelled Charo, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, no. Well, consult your local Charo. <laughs> I must say that uh, she is, in fact, still alive. I had to put that to rest because I know we, we would not we would have been both uh, unable to sleep tonight if we'd known. Well, that's good uh, news. Not known. <laughs> uh, she is... Uh, I'll, I'll in- certainly include a link to her Wikipedia in the show notes. Please do. <laughs> Everybody can do their own research on further Charo information. <laughs> That's right. That'll be someone will have the random Charo podcast. I'm sure there could be a, a surprising amount of uh, of uh, content for that. That's true. Ed. She's a very talented uh, guitarist. So uh, uh, I am not making fun of Charo. She's, she's very successful and uh, still alive. So uh, more than you can say for a lot of people. <laughs> Sixty five years young. Well, you go on with your bad self, Charo, if you're listening to this. And, you know, you've educated me because, in fact, yeah, I do now see that under occupation on Wikipedia, it does say actress, singer, classical guitarist. Yes, you, that's my fun fact about Charo is that she is uh, a classically trained guitarist and quite talented. But Charo did not appear in The Boy Who Predicted Earthquakes. Nope, nope. Uh, <laughs> young Clint Howard did. Uh, little yes. Clint. Mm-hmm. The, the kid that they say, we need a weird looking kid. In the seventies, and they say, "Get us that Clint Howard." <laughs> yeah, where's where's that uh, where's where's that Ronnie Howard's brother? He's, <laughs> he's right. running around here somewhere. Yeah, and nowadays they say we need a weird-looking old guy, older guy. Uh, get me that Clint Howard. <laughs> he's made quite a quite a career for himself, and uh, you know what? Surprise! I just watched Apollo thirteen again uh, not too long ago, and uh, uh, he's quite good in that. No, he's a very good actor. I, I, I mock him because he's kind of odd-looking, but he is a far better actor than I would ever be. So uh, good job, Clint Howard. And he does a great job in uh, The Boy Who Predicted Earthquakes, which I think uh, is not very exciting, honestly. Sadly, no. I think uh, he he does bring... Um, I think he brings the most understated performance to this, uh, to this particular vignette. And... Uh, uh, actually provides a little subtlety in his acting which is not so much the case with anybody else <laughs> <laughs> no this is this is not a subtle uh, vignette uh, and the idea is that this kid uh well well the doctor from love boat is like hey studio guy we need to give this kid a tv show and he's like all right fine you've been bugging me let's get the kid in front of a camera the kid the kid in front of a camera and he just talks about i forget even what he like what he learned at school that day or something yeah, what books he's reading <laughs> i'm reading a book about astronomy <laughs> And, and the guy at the studio is like, what's going on? Why are we wasting time here? Uh, and then that's when oh, we find out that Clint Howard is uh, not just a weird looking kid, but he is also able to predict the future. Yes, because only a weird looking kid would be able to predict the future. Not a, <laughs> If he was a clean cut, handsome young man, he wouldn't have any kind of special powers or anything. So no. that's why they, that's, that should have been our clue that he was weird looking. <laughs> yes. And so he predicts that they're going to find this little girl who got lost and she's alive, but her leg is broken. Uh, also BT dubs, there's going to be an earthquake tomorrow, <laughs> uh, in LA, but I guess they're not in LA. It is unclear to me where they are, but they're not in LA cause there's not an earthquake where they are. Yeah, it was, it was very unclear. And I, I was still fuzzy on that by the end of it. I thought, oh, shouldn't they be more alarmed? Aren't they, aren't they, <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't this be like a local earthquake? But uh, apparently not, I guess. They, they could be anywhere. Who knows? Uh, they could be in Boise, Idaho. Uh, but, and then so the, the studio head guy's like, yeah, whatever, kid. Uh, and his grandfather and the doctor from the Love Boat are like, no, he's always right. He's done 120 predictions, every single one of them right. And the guy's like, eh, whatever. I've got to go into my screening room and watch some weird movie for no apparent reason. Uh, and that's what he does. And then it turns out, long story short, guess what? The kid is right. The girl is found. Her leg is broken. The next day, there's an earthquake. And so he says, we got to get that kid on TV. And my question to you, Dan, is... Uh, and then we find out, like, it fast-forwards, and, like, a year and a half later, it's like... the big hit and everybody loves it and the show is basically this little kid talking about whatever he's reading or whatever happened to school and then randomly it seems interspersed with predictions about what's going to happen and it seems like everybody loves this show and i wrote down to myself that this seems like it would be one of the worst shows ever it really would be i mean like it's (laughs) they're talking about it like it's appointment television and i'm thinking you know 
boy, there was not a lot on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing it has going for it, right? Because there's probably at most four stations that you could watch. So I guess you'll kind of watch the the one with the kid who'll predict stuff. Uh, but I feel like uh, you could just like read his about his predictions the next day in the newspaper. <laughs> And that's good enough. Absolutely. The show, uh, I don't think I'd watch it. Uh, no, uh, I don't think anybody would uh, would have wanted to watch it uh, unless they were making fun of it, perhaps. <laughs> hey, weird weird prediction kids on TV. <laughs> Yay, gather out. Uh, and so, but we do find out a couple of things about his, there are rules to his predictions, right? He yes. can only, because uh, they bring in, uh, I guess, some kind of egghead professor who's a lady. I thought that was nice. Yeah, very progressive. It's a, it's a, the university doctor who mm-hmm. I thought looked a little bit like Barbara Streisand. Yes, it was not Barbara Streisand, I don't, I don't think, but it, she did look kind of like her. I think it was just the time that she was famous enough that um, a lot of women got their hair cut like her and, uh, mm. and, and ended up being made up to look like her. Probably. Uh, and she she's going to study ESP and paranormal psychology, and this kid is a boon. Uh, you would think that they probably would have done this before a year and a half has elapsed, but uh, we also find out that there's a government guy uh, who sits in every taping, and if the kid says something that the government doesn't like, they shut down the production. Uh, so that's interesting. But we find out that he can only predict things uh, that he knows about, so that's why he reads, because if he doesn't have any kind of context, he can't predict it, uh, which is interesting. And uh, he can only predict 24 uh, or 48 hours ahead. Uh, beyond that, he cannot see what's going on. Yes, that that was. I did think it was. It was very like you can see here, kind of the nut of a kind of a cool idea, mm-hmm. or where they they really thought about the rules of the power and and all that, but they. They just didn't really make it compelling, <laughs> ultimately, no. as a story. Not at all. <laughs> and uh, it, even the thing with the with the government guy, it was uh, it seemed it seemed like maybe that was going to be something, and ultimately, it wasn't. It was absolutely nothing. <laughs> just a guy in a suit sitting in a folding chair. <laughs> Except perhaps, uh, I guess, as we get to the kind of you know finale of this of this segment. Um, as he shares with everyone that tomorrow is going to be the start of a new world. Yes. And it's this very strange, very vague prediction, but, uh, but he seems to be painting the picture of uh, a new happy, uh, wonderful, you know, time for human beings is going to happen starting tomorrow. And I guess you could say maybe, and this, maybe this is headcanon <laughs> that, uh, was he, was he framing this partly because the government man would have shut down the broadcast if he had, uh, if he had revealed the truth? Uh, well, he does say later when, so yeah, the truth, what we find out what the truth is, it's not, uh, that we're all going to live in this garden where we don't hurt anybody. But in fact, the sun is going to go supernova and we're all going to die. Uh, but he says the to the, the doctor, he's like, I didn't want to tell people because I didn't want them to panic. So I wanted to give them something to look forward to. Uh, even though it appears to me that people are panicking in the street. Because it's weird. Because they, um, they show pictures that are... Uh, have like a really uh, heavy red filter like of traffic and of just normal city scenes uh, but then they overlay it of with like crowds of people that seemed mildly panicked so i wasn't quite sure what was going on what was it supposed to take away from those moments yeah all i wrote down was traffic pollution shouting montage yes and I, I didn't know what my takeaway from that was supposed to be are people freaking out is it just like a normal is that supposed to tell me that no one is paying attention i, I didn't know what was going on yeah it was it was very weird and yeah I, I read the 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 what like i said pollution it was it was like smoggy you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, yeah it was like everything was was kind of going off the rails but um so it yeah i don't i don't think he got his uh desired outcome of of everybody sitting peacefully and waiting for the new yeah, Eden to to arrive. No, nope. and then at the end, everybody's dead. That's right. The end. <laughs> and I thought there was going to be. I guess that's kind of a twist, but I thought there was going to be. And this is when I was still thinking, oh, this is just like the Twilight Zone. So there's going to be some kind of kooky quit twist. Uh, and there was just kind of a, a depressing twist. Yeah, it was. It was the the moral seemed to be that uh, you know foreknowledge of the future is you know could be a, a curse as much as a blessing, right? This is, yes. Well, it's like the the classic uh, what is it Cassandra thing, right? She knows the future uh, in in Greek myth, but uh, her she is cursed because no one believes her, and so she's cursed to try to warn people about bad things that are going to happen, but no one ever believes her. 
and that is the curse that she has to for the power that she has the curse is that no one ever believes her yes the, the rest of the world are all tv studio executives <laughs> that's right they're like i don't care they just get this kid it's good tv i don't care if it's true or not <laughs> so yes that leads us to our uh, our first uh, small segment uh, oh, miss lovecraft sent me with uh joe campanella as uh, as dracula and i have to look him up because i can't remember uh what it was that he was why did i think that he was some kind of athlete but oh. apparently no i think he was just a uh just an actor just a dude but he was in he was one of these people at the time who was in a million different things yes i recognize the name but i have no idea what he was in the Fugitive, Mission Impossible, Gunsmoke, uh, well, there you go. uh, The Untouchables. I mean, the, the list is, is long and distinguished. Rockford Files for you. Oh, yes. I like the Rockford Files. Year, years later, Golden Girls and Mama's Family. I mean, he, was, <laughs> he, he really did just about everything. Goodness. Well, yeah. And then he also played Dracula in a, in a wildly comedic sketch. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was really terrible. Uh, so yeah, he's Dracula and he's welcoming the new babysitter. Yes, for his I guess his uh, uh, maybe like a wolf child a wolf, or something. Half Dog? wolf, half werewolf, half vampire. There was definitely some kind of animal sounds coming from the kid's room, but uh, he goes up to the kid's room and you hear him say that he has a surprise and uh, you're going to eat her alive. He says. Yes. Yeah. So this this little uh, I guess teeny bopper or something that comes in although this is too late for teeny boppers but uh she comes in and she has her little transistor radio and she's listening to it and she's like hey i'm here for the babysitter job uh and who answers the door but clearly dracula uh he has the fangs he's got the cloak he's got the the skin very pale complexion yes uh he doesn't show up in a mirror as she notices but that doesn't seem to bother her <laughs> yeah she just kind of shrugs it off oh that's weird eh, that happens to everybody every once in a while i guess uh but when she she freaks out when he goes upstairs and he puts the slippers on the kid uh and he says give me that foot all right give me the other foot uh, give me the other foot. Uh, and that's what, which I thought was the best part of this whole, uh, little vignette. And then she drops her transistor radio and runs out and Dracula comes down and is like, what was that crash? <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Really, really bad. The end. Uh, so that gets us to <laughs> the hand of Borgus Weems. Oh man. Which, which also may be a little bad. <laughs> A little bad. The best part of this is the name Borges Weems, because that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, that may have been the best invention of the, 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 whoever whoever wrote uh, this particular segment, yes. uh, which was not uh, uh, not Serling, by the way. Uh, he only wrote the teleplay for the first segment, The Boy Who Predicted Earthquakes. Mm -hmm. The rest were, uh, were other members of the staff. Yes, and that one was based on a short story, so it wasn't even... Uh... Yeah, that was a t that was a typical uh, method uh, for Night Gallery. It seemed a lot of older short stories, things that were in the public domain, mm, <laughs> cheap. That's what it, that's what that means. Cheap. Yeah, it really does. Uh, that that is the sort of overarching theme of Night Gallery is low production costs, <laughs> which uh, shows up in, in the hand of Borges Weems because not too much happens. There aren't that many sets. Uh, there's an exciting car crash, I guess, uh, but that's about a it. very low speed. Yes, I was very <laughs> concerned about uh, whatever the main character's name is. He. Uh, he he was not having a good time here. Um, now we open with him driving the car, and mm -hmm. he's, uh, he he is clearly having some problems. And and we, based on the the name and the the introduction, we we gathered that the that he is somehow is is does not have control full control of his body, uh, particularly his hand his right hand. And uh, but then it also seems weirdly that he's uh, unable to stop himself from mashing on the gas pedal of the car. Also, yes. Which I thought was odd, uh, but then they they talk about that later, so that that pays off. <laughs> yes, much much later they actually explain that it uh, it was weird to open with it though, considering <laughs> uh, considering that really hadn't been set up at that point. But yes. uh, uh, yeah, he nearly runs down a man who who sticks around the scene to like poke his head in the car and look at <laughs> look at this guy who almost ran him down. He doesn't seem too upset. <laughs> He's just like, whatever, let me uh, join this this crowd of people that instantly materializes when he crashes his car at the lamppost. Uh, and then I guess I'll go about my day. 
Yeah, that tends to happen on the back lot when you're uh, when you're driving a car. So <laughs> people materialize. A swarm of extras appear. <laughs> None of whom have lines, but who all look very concerned. They do. None of them also help. They just look concerned. That's right. Well, they were probably instructed not to touch anybody. <laughs> That's or, uh... true. Cause that's more money. So don't don't touch anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> just look concerned. That's right. So uh, so yeah. Then we cut to uh, the the man driving the car is having an appointment with a doctor. And uh, is is letting the doctor know he'd like him to cut off his hand. As you do. Yeah. Hey, Doc. Uh, we, we, I'm not a longtime patient or anything. Uh, this is my first appointment. <laughs> but right. uh, we're meeting here in your office because I'd like you to remove my hand. And the doctor's like, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not exactly how this works. You don't just, uh, I'm not a mechanic. You don't just show up and say, hey, uh, it's, you don't order off a menu. One One hand removal, please. <laughs> It's a very well manicured hand. I don't know if you noticed that. It was. Uh, it was um, you know, very very well taken care of. I guess they, they maybe warned him that there were going to be a lot of close-ups well, of the hand. I bet that's, that's probably a stunt hand that we see because there, there are a lot of close-ups of it. Uh, and yeah, and so he's like, there's nothing, the doctor's like, there's nothing wrong with your hand. I can't just take your hand, cut it off when there's nothing wrong with it. And uh, the, the main character, whose name I don't even remember, is like, well, I can fix that. And he stands up and... Uh, smashes like a bust or something on his hand and breaks it all up and apparently in the 70s if you broke your hand they had to cut it off <laughs> yeah i was really concerned about the the state of medicine at this time um it really felt like maybe they could have done more for him than that i i would have thought so but they just jumped to amputation <laughs> yeah the doctor uh, dr abaddon yeah i don't know that we ever got the name of the of the main guy because i didn't write it down oh. um and normally i would but uh but yeah the doctor uh he says, yeah, he's, he's basically like, well, you know what? This guy seems really committed to this hand <laughs> removal thing. So I'll do him a solid and cut his hand off. Because, <laughs> yes, we cut to the OR and they are uh, they're doing the hand removal, um, which they uh, they, they very um, uh, budget friendly. They they reused that OR footage a couple of times, too, I think. In the, yes. Uh, in the process. And they uh, my wife was watching this with me and they, they do a close up of uh, someone with a scalpel on the wrist and they're about to press in. And she's like, oh, I don't want to look and watch them cut a hand off. And I was I told her this was from the 70s. They're not going to show us anyone cutting off a hand. And sure enough, they cut away. <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing, nothing more predictable than that. Yeah. You weren't going to see, um, you know, the actual drawing of blood. Uh, yeah, this isn't Nip Tuck or uh, some more current show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fine. It, everything is fine. They show his arm that uh, his hand is clearly bandaged up, but we're led to believe it's been amputated. Uh... <laughs> this is by far my favorite thing. Probably about this entire episode is how poorly <laughs> they have they have simulated a removed hand. Now, I, I am fortunate to have both hands myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe you are as well. Yes. Um, so I don't have any direct experience, but the thing that that most stuck out to me was that the um, a few inches up from your wrist, there's no joint that would bend or provide any kind of uh, back and forth movement of the lower part of your arm after the hand is removed. That is true. <laughs> And yet every time they showed a close up of the supposed bandaged stump, uh, there was there was slight movement that was very clearly the bandaged hand. <laughs> I, I guess he couldn't keep his wrist still. Oh, it was creepy. <laughs> I was like, really, they couldn't have put like a splint on it or something to like limit the amount of motion that uh, it would have only cost them, you know, a couple of tongue depressors. Uh, they were already in for the gauze. Well, that's true. And that was, they probably put them over the, the budget. Um, and they could have swiped it from the first aid station at the, uh, at the studio <laughs> or something. That's true. Now you're thinking. You should uh, go back in time and suggest that. I missed my calling as a, as a producer of television in the 70s. That is right. And so this this episode has an interesting narrative structure, though, right? Because we, we start off with the hand. Like, you know, you're pretty sure this hand is no good. Uh, but then we see the foot is in on the action as well. Uh, and then he, he amputates the hand, and then we basically get the story, the backhand story, <laughs> of uh, the whole thing with uh, when the doctor's like, well, you really have to talk to a psychologist. And here she comes, another woman. She's there. She's like, tell me what's going on. And he tells her the story of how his hand uh, has been 
doing things like he was going to visit some he was visiting someone for work and his hand made him buzz the wrong buzzer and then he meets this woman who apparently after a couple of days they are fiancés uh, which seems weird uh, they get engaged very quickly and what else? and then he tries to kill her uh, but it's his hand not him uh, and he kicks away the gun and then eventually he's driving around and then his foot gets into the action and this is brings us back to the beginning and he tries to kill this random dude yeah he uh he also has a meeting with a man named brock ramsey it's a very manly name that is a very manly name uh he he, he calls this guy and uh and identifies oh, yes. himself as borgus weems mm-hmm. and the guy kind of freaks out but he they, they they end the call and that guy comes and pays him a visit um at his at his rented furnished apartment <laughs> and uh uh the guy's looking around and it seems that the guy's been there before and knows his way around the place. Um, but uh, as the as Brock Ramsey's not paying attention, our uh, our main character grabs a letter opener and is ready to stab him. Yes, yeah, slowly <laughs> stab him. Yes, it's a very poor attempt on his life, um, which he uh, he the overacting kicks in and he shouts at the top of his voice, "No, please stop! You don't understand." <laughs> and then he runs off. Brock runs off. Uh, and uh, he lives to to Brock another day. <laughs> Indeed, he does. <laughs> the uh, so the, we we start to piece this all together. We do see the the trying to kill his fiance flashback and and mm-hmm. all that. Um, but uh, big shocker, not really. Uh, we discover that all these people that the hand has been trying to kill uh, were part of a plot. Uh, a successful plot, I guess, to yes. uh, to kill the titular Borgus Weems. Um, because the policeman uh, that uh, that shows up uh, lets him know that oh yeah the uh, you know all that was left was the the hand that was clutching the balcony yes in this very room yes I know they also mentioned that he uh, that he dabbled in the occult did you notice that? <laughs> I did not notice that but. <laughs> it's strange I only wrote it that way so I would remember that they it was very weird of all the words to have trouble pronouncing <laughs> occult is not a strange word no it is um, not. Not that strange, but uh, but perhaps uh, they didn't have time for a second take. That would have uh, been more film. That's right. The film is more expensive than uh, tongue depressors. Uh, and, and yeah, and then the doctor is he goes with him to check it out. And so this big reveal is you know the the police officer says, oh, "Yes, uh, Weems was killed in this very room, and his hand was left right here." Uh, and then the doctor says, "Well." Uh, main character guy who doesn't have a name. You seem like you're freaking out, so I'm going to prescribe you something. Uh, and he he takes out his his prescriptions pad, and with his right hand he starts writing. Uh, and it ends up he writes in Latin, uh, the same phrase that uh, the main character wrote in Latin at the doctor's office. And it dawns on the doctor that he now has the hand of Borgus Weems. Dun dun dun. Which was kind of a, I think probably the best twist of any of uh, the night gallery that I saw so far. <laughs> I would I would agree for sure for this episode. Uh, I did uh, uh, make note of the translation of the Latin that uh, was written there. I uh, I think you're a little more well read. Well, I know you're more well well read than I am, Scott. But uh, I was not familiar with this passage from Virgil. Uh, Arise, my avenger, out of my bones was the uh, was the phrase. Yes, not. Uh, I am not a Virgil expert, so uh, that was uh, new to me as well. But uh, seemed pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, although I'm guessing you did study a little Latin at some point. I went to a Catholic high school, but I went uh, late enough that Latin was not required anymore. Uh, so I managed to study Spanish, which is much easier than Latin. Oh well, there you go. I, I I guessed incorrectly. I was very close. I was on the cusp of uh, studying Latin, but I think I was a couple years uh, too late for the Latin. I they did offer Latin, and I cho- chose not to take it. Strangely, I took two years of Latin in high school in my public high school, uh, and yet remember almost nothing. <laughs> well, my Spanish is not very good. If that makes you feel any better. Let's put it this way: I uh, it it didn't even uh, I didn't, not enough of it stuck that that scene in uh, Monty Python: The Life of Brian, uh, where they're conjugating the sentences, um, it doesn't mean any more to me than anybody else who sees it. <laughs> well, you know, it's a dead language, so it's okay. That's what I told myself. <laughs> so our final segment of oh, the, of the yes. episode. 
uh, Phantom of What Opera. Wow, what a what a hilarious twist on that title. Yes, with the hilarious Leslie Nielsen, who was pretty funny. Uh, yes, I, I did. Uh, I did enjoy that uh, his unmistakable voice underneath mm-hmm. that uh, uh, that mask and that other mask or, or makeup <laughs> job or whatever that uh, that was. I guess it was makeup. Yes, there, there is one funny part in this, if you ask me. And that is, so he has this mask and it's a weird, you know, it's kind of, I think they, they made this mask just to set up this joke, but so he's wearing the Phantom of the Opera mask, uh, but it has like this weird cloth thing that seems to get in his mouth every time he talks. So you think that's weird. Uh, and he's carrying this woman down that he's uh, captured and, you know, he's like, oh, uh, let me light some candles to set the mood basically. And so he has a match and he lights these candles and then he blows out the candle, the the match, but he can't obviously because he's wearing that mask. <laughs> uh, and that was legitimately funny. <laughs> I really did enjoy that too. I, I didn't know if it was, it was, it was late when I watched this the other night, but uh, no, I, I did, I did, uh, I did get a kick out of that and uh so yeah they're basically reenacting the the famous scene from the phantom of the opera where where his his captive uh unmasks him at the Mm -hmm. at the organ in his secret lair and uh and of course this occurs and she sees that he is he's hideous uh but he uh he grabs her closely and uh and comes in uh comes in close to grab her face and just as he's pulling in you're assuming to to share a kiss uh it turns out that he unmasks her as well, and uh, the big reveal is that she is equally hideous. Mm-hmm. And then they <laughs> and, kiss. And he seems more more shocked than she was. Yes, he lets out a scream. <laughs> uh, but he recovers quickly, uh, and then they embrace and kiss, and it's the end. Yes, uh, had had I allowed my daughter to watch that episode, she would have declared that they were married. Uh, that is that is, that is her as five year old logic is that when people kiss on television, uh, that means they are married. Oh, so the actors or the characters? The the characters oh, uh, specifically. Right. Okay. She actually uh, explained to me the other night that that was just for TV and movies. Oh. I I, I was concerned that I needed to correct a misunderstanding about how kissing works in the real world. <laughs> And uh, she, no, she explained to me, no, no, uh, that's just on TV. Don't be ridiculous. It's just on TV. <laughs> yes, one of one of many moments uh, I get like that on a, on a regular basis where I think I need to explain something to my five-year-old and she instead uh, explains something to me. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, this episode of Night Gallery, uh, I gotta say, uh, as my introduction to Night Gallery, it does not make me want to watch any more Night Gallery because <laughs> uh, I didn't think it was very good. I, I definitely can tell you there is there is better night gallery than this. Uh, however, I think what I'm going to end up with by the time I make it through all of it, uh, I will probably have a very short list of specific segments <laughs> of individual episodes that I think are worth people watching. Um, I think it's uh, there's a reason that uh, you have to go looking to find night gallery. It, it it's you know it's only out there on Hulu. Uh, it's not on you know so many things are on every possible streaming service and all that. Uh, but I think there's a reason this one's tucked away in the uh, in the Hulu archive. It, it is too good to share widely. <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, perhaps it uh, is destined to only be a cult uh, you know type uh, program. <laughs> but I mean, I, I applaud Rod Serling for kind of sticking to his his shtick. It is you can definitely tell that it is of the Twilight Zone, uh, but it is not exactly like the twilight zone so i guess he was kind of stretching a little bit not really a lot but just a tiny bit um so and i think that it it suffers because of all of my experience with the twilight zone and my expectations uh and i don't know if that's in fact when it first aired if it suffered from that as well um but uh, i guess it got a few seasons right so it must have been fairly popular it did it got uh, it got three seasons but again you know we kind of hit on it earlier that the uh the the landscape of television at the time was that uh, uh, everything got a lot of viewers because there weren't very many options. <laughs> well, that's true. It's like, what else are you going to watch? And uh, certainly it was different than a lot of things that were on TV at the time. So that may have uh, you know been enough for them to, uh, to, to hang around for the three seasons that they did. Yes. And I think that uh, I am sure, I have nothing to back this up with, but I am sure many people in show business probably got their start uh, either writing or doing 
doing kind of production for Night Gallery and shows like it. So, And it could very well be the kind of thing where because they were able to produce it on probably a shoestring budget, uh, it may have made good money for the uh, for the network. So they were maybe happy to keep it around for a few years. Hey, why not milk as much as you can from Rod Serling before you send him off to wherever he goes? Yeah, they probably had him signed to some development deal anyway. So, uh, so you know, might as well have him working on this rather than just paying him to do nothing. That's true. And he, uh, the last season... Ended what 1973 and he died in 1975. So, uh, Wikipedia tells me at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, I do not disagree with Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess this was probably uh, maybe the last thing he did. Yeah, one of so that uh, that's that's for sure. There is a uh, I haven't gotten my hands on it yet, but uh, at some point in there, I think it was between the two series, he wrote a Christmas movie. Oh, that was a made for TV movie. Was it like uh, my, a creepy I, Christmas movie? I don't think so. I think it was just a typical sappy, uh, like what today would be on the Hallmark Channel or something. So <laughs> I haven't found it yet or watched it. Um, so one of the things rattling around in my head is is an eventual uh, random Serling Christmas special, uh, if I can ever manage to uh, to get a copy of this, that, uh, uh, that would allow for it to be watched. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, Rod Serling. Well, Scott, uh, I normally would ask specifically if you would think this is an essential episode of his work, but mm. I believe you just answered that very effectively uh, in your uh, in your recap. <laughs> no, I, th- I think you could skip this safely. And when you're you're uh, c- compiling the 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 Sterling Serling, huh? Uh, you uh, <laughs> could leave this out. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Scott, uh, I really appreciate you joining me this evening. Well, thank you. I had a lot of fun. Well, tell me uh, and uh, tell everybody uh, where they can find you uh, uh, out there on the Internet. Well, if you Google blank baby, all one word, or or just add it to any random social network, chances are you will find me. Uh, And you can also check out my podcast on the incomparable. uh, It's called Random Trek. Well, I've got, I've got both of those in the show notes uh, as well. Yeah, blankbaby.com where you've aggregated all your things. Mm Mm-hmm. And... uh, and, uh, of course, you know, I, I must personally recommend not only uh, Random Trek, but uh, Scott also frequently appears as the Dungeon Master or as a as a uh, uh, participant in uh, the other show, Total Party Kill. Oh, yes. Uh, which uh, is, is it's surprisingly entertaining to, <laughs> uh, to listen to other people play Dungeons & Dragons on the Internet. You wouldn't think that would be true, but uh, we have heard that before, so I, I guess it's, uh, there are... It takes all kinds. <laughs> uh, well, I, I personally have uh, an acre and a quarter of yard to take care of here ah. in, uh, in Tennessee, and uh, uh, you all uh, have uh, have accompanied me on many uh, mowings and, uh, and <laughs> trimmings and all the other work that that entails. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad we can keep you company. This episode of Random Serling was brought to you by our friends at Pippi's Treasures, where you can find handmade items for the people you treasure most including their most recent addition, embroidered kitchen towels featuring coffee and holiday-themed designs. Those are available now at pippistreasures.com. Use promo code TOWEL20 to save 20% on orders placed on those towels by December 10th, 2016. Next time on Random Serling, my guest will be Jimmy Marks, and we will discuss Night Gallery Season 3, Episode 15, Hatred Unto Death. I hope you'll join us. Until then, you can always find the show at randomserling.com or by following at randomserling on Twitter.